Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome into Attacking Third. Happy Monday. We are bringing you the latest news, updates, and analysis from around the world of women's football. My experts today, Aaron West, Jordan Angeli, and I'm Lisa Carlin. We're down a player. We're down a player today. We're missing yeah. Darian Jenkins sending her some well wishes. But we've just got three ahead of a, a busy day today. But I'm happy to be here with both of you. Yeah. yeah, I'm always honored to be part of this crew. I'm sorry we're, we're down a player, but I'll do my best to, to cover as much of the pitch as I can. <laughs> I, I should have looked more into my NWSL stats. I don't believe Darian ever got a red card mm. in NWSL. I did, so I probably <laughs> should be the one that's out. <laughs> what did um, you do for your red card? Actually, my red card is it very interesting. It was for misidentification. Wow. It is used in a lot of the FIFA pro teachings now because uh, Tori Huster fouled somebody. And they thought it was me. And there's some good there's some good pictures of me. You still sound a little bitter, Jordan? Yeah, I mean, of course. Was My whole family language, came to Portland, no was, big deal, to watch me play, and I got a red used card. To the referee, fit for consumption at that time. Yeah, actually, actually, it You're wasn't. So about, nice. I, I was like, "What are you, you talking were about?" Like, Sir, it wasn't me. Yeah. <laughs> Lori Lindsay was next to me. I don't remember what she said, but I think we said very different things that weren't great. <laughs> well, she probably stuck up for you a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we missed you, Darian. Yeah, it's almost as if Darian got her first red card today because we are missing her. But yeah. we have plenty to run through today. There's latest news. News, um, updates out of Spain, and we've got a Challenge Cup to recap. But let's start with the latest news that has happened because uh, Ruby Alice has officially resigned. He was sus the suspended Spanish Federation president. Um, after everything that has happened, he has officially resigned as president of the Federation and as vice president of UEFA. Uh, this is just two weeks after he refused to step down. Jordan, it's about time. Yeah. Boy, bye. Like, I, I'm, I'm ready for this to happen. I'm glad it happened. I think over the weekend when the news came out, uh, there was a sense of relief that at least a major piece of the puzzle is, you know, gone. That this, now we can start to see how else in this federation, what other things need to change. But, um, yeah, yeah, I'm... I'm glad that that happened. Yeah, finally. It, yeah, it's, it's been yeah. three weeks. Uh, he's been the face of the Spanish World Cup win when he didn't step on the pitch. Yeah. Um, bye. Uh, this is only the tip of the iceberg, though. Clearly, this rock goes deeper than just him. I'm hoping in the next few weeks, uh, as we go on, we see more uncovered and we get to, to finally clear this all out. But finally, he's gone. And that will be the testament for the players, right? Because they have refused to return to the national team until structural changes are made. That doesn't mean the firing of Jorge Vilda, the coach. It doesn't necessarily mean this. There needs to be more changes to come. And we will welcome on Guillaume Balaguer later on the show to dive deeper into everything that has happened in Spain. Sticking in Europe, it is UEFA Women's Champions League qualifiers that are happening. And some heavy hitters are already out. Juventus was knocked out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And now Arsenal, they 
fall in penalties to Paris FC. This was a back-and-forth game, and then against the green, Paris gets two back-to-back goals. Uh, what does this say about the competition overall, especially in the Champions League? I think we saw in the World Cup that the, the pool of women's soccer has improved greatly. Uh, I think that this is massively surprising. It's also tough, though, because you look at a team like Arsenal, who they played their last league matches in, what, was it May? They mm-hmm. don't play their next league matches for another month. So they're in a really, really weird period where they put themselves in this position to have to qualify for Champions League, but they're right in the middle, not even in preseason. They've got some really, really serious injuries. As an Arsenal fan, this is really <laughs> sad for me. But I'm a, I'm a glass half full type person. That means that they can focus fully on the league without having to worry about the, the added competition. Yeah. Which they'll want because they haven't won the league yes, in quite some that. time. Sorry, Aaron. <laughs> just, I, just rub it in. It's yeah, all, it's cool. it's cool. I, I think that <laughs> last year, at the end of last year, we were talking about all the competitions these mm-hmm. players played in, how many minutes were on their legs, why there were so many injuries. Well, now one of those competitions is not going to be in the mix. And so I think it will give this team the opportunity to solely invest in one league. But it will also allow some of those players who've been injured to get back into the mix. You know, William said me, those are players who got injured due to how many minutes they played. Plus the World Cup was later. So it is just like a weird time for them. It wasn't a great performance. They went down both times. They were trailing in both parts of the game. Alicia Russo misses her penalty. It's just a a lot of trial, but also gives you, I think, hope that Paris FC, this team that is third in the the French League, can play with the big dogs. Mm. And I think we've seen in the World Cup how tactics have increased. So everybody should be on notice. It doesn't matter who you play. It's going to be a good game. Yeah, poor Alessia Russo. She didn't get the start. She comes into this match for Arsenal. She gets the equalizer. And she gets another equalizer. Yeah. And she misses her penalty yeah. kick. Uh, pretty devastating to see from a player like her. Let's stick in England because there have been a number of transfers. Ebony Salmon, the English international forward who was formerly with Houston Dash, has made her move back home to Aston Villa. This is a player that started her career in England. She played with Villa. She then played with Bristol City. She came over to Louisville, went to Houston last year and had a tremendous end of the season. She was traded from Louisville to Houston in June, and now she goes to Aston Villa. How does a player like this adjust to a new league, a new team again after not having a lot of success this year with Houston? Yeah, I I think it's tough for her because she did see success in the league and then was kind of shunted to the bench. She didn't really get the playing time. She didn't really get her feet back fully on the ground. But now she's going home. She's going to play with a player she knows very well, Rachel Daly, who was the top scorer in WSL. And we know the quality Ebony Salmon has. I think she'll be comfortable. I I think especially at a club she's played for before, she's going to be closer to family. She's been in the setup before. I think she'll probably score a lot of goals as well. (laughs) The one question I have about Ebony Salmon, I love the way she plays. When she is going, the ball at her feet, she's going 1v1, and she's found that space in behind. She can be lethal but what's the next adaptation Mm. because if somebody takes that away from her we have seen over the last couple of years it has been difficult for her to produce this is a team who needs production from her and I I think it could be a good restart from her if she does choose to really dig into those other parts of her game Mm. I'm excited to see her and Rachel Daly back in the front line yeah it'll be fun (laughs) another transfer happening Um, Jan Rose Canadian international forward she was with Reading last year a a team that got relegated out of the Super League Um, she was no longer with them at the end end of the year now she's 
Achilles with Leicester City. Um, Coming off an Achilles tear as well, is this a good move for Rose? Here's the thing. When you're coming off an injury, you just want to play. Hopefully, you can. she can get back into the swing of things. I've, I've been through, Jordan, you've been through a number of in, injuries. When you're hurt, the yeah. first thing that goes is your confidence. Mm -hmm. The next thing you need is to be on the pitch with a team that, it, that believes in you, to just get a regular run out, to, to, to be fully fit. So hopefully this is the place for her. And this Leicester City team needs her five wins last year yeah. for them. It was not a good season for them. They only scored 15 goals in 22 matches. Deanne Rose is a goal-scoring winger. She can go 1v1. She can cut inside and make a defender chase her, challenge the goalkeeper. It's exactly what they mm -hmm. want to see in Leicester. So I, I think it is a good move because she will get playing time and she will the, the type of competition in WSL will fit her really well. Well, Leicester City believes in Deanne Rose very well, and as does Pachuca. They believe in their player, Jenny Hermoso, the Spanish international, returned to her Liga MX Femenil team, Pachuca, and she was greeted with the warmest of welcomes. Take a look. I love a good guard of honor. Yeah, yes. this is I wonder also how long this banner took to make because it is, it is not a small banner. Massive. <laughs> Some of my favorite things are videos of fans like taking the time to painstakingly make TIFOs. That is a huge and very, very deserving piece of art. I love that. And you know what? I like that we're talking about Jenny Hermoso and she's getting honored in a way that is so beautiful. So um, that is the massive TIFO. It is something <laughs> that I don't think is going to fit in her apartment, but she is taking it all and um, what a what a sight to see for those Pachuca fans to welcome her with. So sick. Um, it was loud, too, really loud ovation. Incredibly special mm -hmm. and so well-deserved for that player who, who gave her heart and soul during the World Cup for our nation. Such Super a baller, baller. Jordan. Yeah. That's exactly right. Well, we have more coming up on Spain. We welcome in our CBS European football correspondent, Guillaume Balaguer, to talk all about Luis Rubiales and how he has resigned from the Spanish Federation. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Welcome back to Attacking Third. The latest out of Spain has former Spanish President Luis Rubiales resigning. This comes three weeks after Spain lifted their World Cup trophy, and Rubiales gave Jenny Hermoso an unwanted kiss at the World Cup trophy ceremony. Since then, the day after, Rubiales issued an apology amid the mounting pressure. FIFA then opened a disciplinary hearing against Rubiales. The Federation president refused to step down at an assembly meeting, shouting that he will not resign. Since then, Spanish players declared that they would not return to the national team until change was made and Rubiales was removed. Jenny Hermoso broke her silence after the celebrations, confirming that the kiss was not consensual. FIFA provisionally suspended Rubiales, and the Federation released and then removed a statement calling Hermoso a liar and threatening legal action against her. Last Tuesday, head coach Jorge Vilda was fired, and Jenny Hermoso filed a legal complaint against Rubiales. This then opened the door for more. Finally, yesterday, Rubiales resigned from the Federation and as vice president of UEFA after the Spanish prosecutors filed a complaint for sexual assault and coercion. 
We now welcome in our CBS Sports European football correspondent, Guillaume Balaguet. Guillaume, welcome to Attacking Third. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. And for this reason, the one we're going to talk about, you know, I wouldn't miss it in the world. Yeah. Thank you for being here. We're excited to get your insight. Luis Rubiales has resigned. It took three weeks since the World Cup. What is next for the Federation? The Federation have to choose, obviously, a president. They've got a temporary one put in place by Rubiales, but who has been saying the right things, as in, we're going to change matters, we're going to change uh, structural problems that there are in the Federation, but we're not seeing much change. So quite clearly what's going to happen next is that the election is going to be called up. There are two options for that. I won't get into it because it'll be boring. But by September next year, there will be another president. And that will be also the opportunity for anybody who doesn't belong to the regime, like Pedro Rocha, the temporary president, is to say, all right, we're really, really going to make structural changes. What's important as well is that the government want to change the law of sport to be able to control the Federation, which is a private institution, but with public money and obviously public interest. And as you can see, alone their own, as, uh, as Rubiales has taken advantage of that. Wow, Guillaume, there, there's a lot there. And actually, I have a few questions just to follow up on that. You said that the, the government wants to take control. Would that be a good thing? Or is it nice having it be a, a separate entity? That's a good debate. It's a very good debate. But when you actually have somebody like Luis Rubiales in charge, who basically pays those that vote him, this is a short way of telling that he controls absolutely everything and he does it in very clever ways. Uh, when you have that and nobody can actually get rid of him, despite, uh, you know, quite a, a long list of misbehavior, of suggestion of corruption. Well, the government says this is not good. Uh, this is no good for Spain as a, as, a, as a brand. It is no good for football either. So a way of improving that is, of course, controlling it. But you're right. Uh, the Federation will have to have some kind of independence. And there will be a debate around that. But the thing that annoyed the government was basically that they could not get rid of somebody that stared at the, uh, the name of Spain for three weeks. Mm -hmm. Uh, Guillaume, obviously, we, we won't know if the government does take over the federation. Right now, we don't know who the president is going to be. Who are the names that are in the frame? And it, do you personally think it's a positive forecast? Do you think that those names would push the federation forward into the future? Brilliant question that nobody can answer yet, because we don't know what shape the, uh, the elections are going to be, if anybody outside the Federation will be able to present themselves, uh, who's going to be a candidate is absolutely too early for it. But hopefully, uh, few things will happen even before the candidates will, uh, will arrive, which means that the changes are already being produced. Remember, the 81 uh, female players that said we will not join the national side until the directors change. They weren't only talking about Rubiales. They were talking about the whole structure of the federation. That the male team, for instance, I've got a director of football, I've got a secretary, I've got a lot of people that uh, take decisions on how the football should be played, what kind of manager they should have. In the, in the woman's side, there is no director of football, there is no technical secretary. And of course, they decided to put Monse Tomé, yes, a woman in charge of the national side uh, after Bilda was sacked. But even the players themselves are saying, but she used to be the assistant of, of Bilda. You've given us to the best team in the world, by the way. We won the World Cup, an assistant of somebody we don't want there, an assistant who has been in the regime for a while. 
Can you not go out there and get a better coach? Can you not go out there and actually produce a system, a structure in the woman's side, same as the men's, that would allow us to grow? That's what the woman, the female players are saying. So Luis Rubiales going is not enough. Monse Tomei arriving doesn't seem good enough for the players either. So more changes are required. The uh, Somebody... Uh, Boquete, uh, Veronica Boquete, who used to be a player, uh, international, said just today, uh, a battle has been won, the Luis Rubiales battle. But the war has been lost, she reckons, because the Federation are not producing the changes that are required. Yeah, we, we know Vera Boquete. She played in NWSL mm -hmm. and w, WPS, so that's a very familiar name to us Americans here. So, um, yeah, yeah, we respect her word a lot, yeah, frankly. Absolutely. And, and it's it's nice to have different players speaking up. So, Guillaume, let me just make sure I'm getting this right. This is not enough for the players to return. And what about Monse Tomé, the, the interim head coach or the coach that has been named for the Spanish side? Is it more just the fact that she has been around and they want a full uh, clean out, clean house in Spain? The, the female players, the, 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 the ones with more experience, they feel that uh, they're trying to, uh, the Federation is trying to put a name, a female name, the first one in the history of Spain, of course, in charge, hoping that uh, criticisms will go and that nothing else will be required. But even though Monse Tomé, some say is a good coach, others are not so sure, in any case has had a very good experience with the uh, under-17s and under-21s, World Cup uh, win sides, both of them, and of course with the national side as an assistant or builder, they say, really, go out there and get the best, the best of the best, because some of the players, as you well know, that are with Spain, they are not only internationals for a long while, they play for some of the best teams in the world, in which their methodology is much more modern. Until very recent, one of the accusations against Jorge Vilda, and you'd be a little bit shocked about that, is that he imposed that the bedrooms of all the girls would be open that the, the, the players will have to keep the door open and he could come in and out of it just to chat, have a chat and a conversation, a way of controlling them. Uh, against England in the European Championships, uh, in the quarterfinals, wasn't it? Uh, basically, he did not give video uh, analysis of, of England. What? Uh, that has changed a little bit. The staff has been increased for the World Cup, but still not enough. It's about what is the idea? What is the philosophy of the Federation? What is it that we can do to get better? And certainly they feel that Monster Tome being named, it's just too short a move. Now, now Guillaume, it's been three weeks. Finally, Rubiales has resigned. But what actually tilted his hand? What actually <laughs> pushed him out of the door? Was it the threat of Spain maybe not being able to host a, a competition in 2030 or whatever it is. What was the real reason that finally cut the cord here? Let's listen to the words that he said out of the uh, interview he's given, uh, he's, he gave Piers Morgan, which will come out at uh, 9 p.m. Spanish time, I think it is, tomorrow in his full entirety. And what he says there is that uh, he basically, and in, in his personal statement as well, um, that, that came out, when, when he resigned, he's basically saying he heard the people around him and said, Luis, you should just leave it because, you know, you're not in a position to actually defend yourself properly. Nothing about getting it wrong. Nothing about apologizing. He thinks he's done nothing wrong. He wants to impose his truth. And that is a typical behavior of that kind of prehistoric kind of thinking that, uh, that he wants uh, to continue in the Federation, and that he, he certainly has. So the reasons, yeah, he talks about uh, if I move aside, it'll be better for Spain and Morocco and Portugal and the World Cup uh, candidacy of 2030. What a hero. Thank you very much, Luis, because actually he's right. Move aside. We don't need you. But 
the reason to move should have been should have been for somebody that if he had the dignity to actually understand what's going on should have been I got it wrong I got it so wrong mm-hmm. by insisting that I wasn't wrong that at some point the light came I thought oh yeah no this is not right but none of that has happened so it's good that he's moved out even Javier Tebas the president of uh, of La Liga was saying I thought he was going to stay forever or at least for as long as he could and we don't know how long that could have been maybe in three months time when FIFA suspension finishes, or in the 24th of November, he could have just moved in. He could have just become the president again. He could have said, what is my job? Because the other proceedings, state prosecutor, the government, uh, the federation itself, will have taken a long time. So it's, the, it's taken 21 days. The federation has said, why didn't he go earlier? But in any case, now he's gone and it's time to move on. But I know that he's gathered um, backing from people People that think like him exist in Spain, which is a bit of a shock, but uh, it is a tiny, tiny minority. Guillaume, I think that was one of the things we all felt uh, when this resignation happened. We we were saying, okay, see ya. We don't want to think about you again. But unfortunately, we're going to because there is an active lawsuit happening in Spain, Jenny Hermoso, uh, for the actions of sexual assault and coercion. I don't know how familiar you are with Spanish law, but I feel like you know a lot of things. So how long do you think that type of process for something like this is going to happen? And what could be the next steps for that lawsuit? Let's see the the whole journeys that are taking place at the moment. FIFA needs to decide what to do. has suspended him, as you know. uh, But you know, maybe they will actually inhabilitate him or stop him being part of a, of, of a role in football for many, many years. We don't know. None of that has been uh, clarified. The state prosecutor, as you said, uh, filed a lawsuit against him. That could take months, years. He plans to defend himself. Uh, the thing that sparked it, uh, that lawsuit was that Jenny Hermoso came out and said, yeah, I felt I felt completely abused. And, and that is what the state prosecutor needed to actually... Uh, go and and, and and declare the lawsuit. Um, the federation, they could have had a vote of no confidence from the beginning, from the beginning when the FIFA suspended him. But they decided not to do that because they probably thought, you know, with the amount of people that are here in this assembly, the decision makers, all friends of Rubiales, probably would have been a very embarrassing n- vote of confidence. Uh, so that was moved aside. They said, you should resign. That's what the Federation said. But nothing else has been investigated. Yes, but what does that mean? We don't know. It hasn't been explained. So the fact that he has moved on has accelerated clearly the process. But as you say, uh, the uh, the civil court, the one the state prosecutor has started, will continue. And they want to get to the end, the state prosecutor, backed by the government, government because what the message we want to send out the government and the media and everyone is that what he did is wrong for everybody to do. A boss cannot behave like that with uh, with an employee, and that behavior in public is not right. And to force Jenny, actually, to publish words of Jenny Moso that she never said mm-hmm. using the, the the mechanisms of the federation, the, the the media team, that's coercion, as you as you described. So all that has to be punished. All right, now, Guillaume, we've talked way too much about Luis Rubiales. Unfortunately, he's been the face of this World Cup win. But Jenny Hermoso had a wonderful reception at her club, Pachuca, over the weekend. Can you tell me a little bit about the positive reception this Spanish national team has deservedly gotten in their home country? We don't know. That is a, there is a strike. There is a strike uh, of, uh, of two games uh, because the players have decided that they want to push on with more negotiations towards minimum pay. 
The minimum pay at the moment, I think, is 13,000 euros. They're asking for 23,000 euros. And the, 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 the league is not giving them that at all. 23,000 euros is what they're asking, right? The men, the minimum pay is 180,000 euros. So there's still a massive gap uh, between both uh, male and female football. And with this strike, what uh, the players wanted to do is to make clear that things have to be sorted. They want to push for more. Others would say, actually, uh, put in the, in, in the balance, the, the, the debate and the discussion, that it wasn't the right time to strike because everybody was looking at doing exactly what you described, celebrating a World Cup. We won the World Cup. Mm-hmm. And now... Uh, that has stopped straight away. Games will happen, and uh, Champions League games have happened. Levante have played in Champions League already. But uh, it's taken a little bit aside, that uh, that momentous uh, win in the World Cup. But I tell you what, what has happened is bigger than that. Mm. And I think positive as well. We've seen that behaviour in public from Rubiales. And now you, you've separated the country in trenches. Those that think like there's nothing wrong. And those that majority of us who think that is wrong and has to be punished. The win for the women really giving them uh, the pedestal to stand on and to speak and to fight for what is right. Guillaume, thank you so much, as always, for joining us. Your insight is wonderful. Appreciate you, Guillaume. Love the shirt, man. Yeah. Up next, we take a look at the Challenge Cup. The NWSL has named North Carolina as back-to-back champions. We'll give you tactics when we return. And the 2023 UKG NWSL Challenge Cup final is underway. Why do it once when twice is just oh so nice. North Carolina Courage lifting back-to-back Challenge Cup trophies. And they did it in a fashion that was very similar to how we've seen North Carolina play all year. Dominating possession, having really good pass completion. How were they able to be so consistent during this concurrent tournament that run during the regular season? They are, like you said, brilliant in possession. Sean Nehas has really, really made his imprint on this team in his second season. The way that they create the triangles, the way that they are so patient in and out of possession, really, uh, it's such a technical team. We're going to see some really, really good clips from Jordan, but the way that they were able to just dominate possession and create these chances, it's it's beautiful to watch, honestly. Yeah, I, I was should have done some of those out of possession clips because you're right, Aaron. This team is good with the ball, but they're also really good without the ball, which allows them off the ball to then create when they do have it to be patient in the way that they built up. But one of the things I like about North Carolina is they can hit you with death by a thousand passes, but they also can get you direct. They they solve the problem that's in front of them. And that's the type of football that they want to play. And I think this first goal that they scored in the championship is a good indication of that, is what is in front of us. And so as they're starting to build out here, Narumi gets on the ball, and you want Narumi on the ball often. There's, there's nobody pressuring her. She notices Louisville's in a low block, so as she faces up, she has a direct ball here into Monaca if she wants. Or 
she sees that there could be an isolation as you see Denise O'Sullivan pointing, play Caroline, <laughs> 1v1 in space, in behind, and that's exactly what they do and it pays out for them. This is, second clip shows you how that isolation was happening and how Caroline timed her run perfectly, but this, look at, she just baits Katie Lund here to say, hey, I'm gonna cross it. Katie Lund then thinks, I'm gonna go for the ball on the cross, and Caroline's like, no, 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 I'm gonna <laughs> score. But, we talk about passing, passing. Yeah. No, that wasn't, that's one pass. Yeah, absolutely. The direct ball. So uh, I love that they can play in a variety of ways. Yeah, and it's, Matsukubo is, I think, very, very key in a lot of what they do because she and Boda can interchange so much. They are nightmares for defenders, especially Boda in the way that she's a, a false nine. She drops off. You talked about this in Morning Footy. They, they've come from two kind of more direct strikers, bigger strikers, more, more in-behind strikers, too. A striker that likes to pop off yes. center backs. And against mm -hmm. an Abby Ursek, who is used to having someone in front of her, she likes someone she can touch and feel because she's strong. She is athletic. Mm -hmm. But anyone that pops out in front of her, you can see on a couple of these goals, she's like, I don't, I don't know if I'm stepping out. I don't know if, if it's, it's our midfielders who, who need to, to track back. So when they interchange especially, it just creates so much havoc. It's a nightmare yeah. for center half. And I felt like Abby Arsig on that play specifically was like, do I go yeah, into Monaco kind of or not? <laughs> so that, that's one of the ways, direct. But also, they love to have the ball. We yeah. talk about this often. And I like this second clip because it gives you a visual of what they're looking for. They love, number one, to play out of a th three. So they'll push Emily Fox. She's not even in your play, play right now up to build out of a three. And then it's all about triangles. And as we play this, watch where the triangles pop up. It's always in the seam, in between two defenders so there is a passing lane there every single time again passing lanes and here is Tess Bode. she receives the ball here back to goal but she keeps it she's not forcing the issue to go forward so track her and just watch what she does as this play starts to develop because this is your number nine here she's just sneaking off as triangles develop on the other side of the field one of the things I also like about North Carolina if they get in trouble they're not opposed to dribbling out of that pressure or clearing the space as we see O'Sullivan do here to create more space for the player behind her. Again, Manaka's there. Bodhi clears the space for her, creates a new triangle. And now with a first-time pass, Ryan Williams plays in Tess Bodhi. And here she is getting in to try to get something past Katie Lund. It is a beautiful thing that yeah. they have learned this new style of play, very different from the old North Carolina days, but now they have a trophy to speak for it. And they're pushing up the NWSL regular season charts. It's hard to defend. Yeah. It's so free-flowing that you see Abby Ersek, she's just up there chasing shadows. She's so uncomfortable. They put her in positions. They put defenders in places that they really, really don't want to be. She mm -hmm. doesn't want to be inside her own half, chasing a center half, a center forward that all of a sudden is just no longer there. <laughs> right. And then, then the attacking middle fielder's in behind her. So it's, it's just a nightmare for mm -hmm. center backs. The, the movement is so, so creative. And then you have to worry about Caroline on one side. Yeah. It's, it's, it's and, beautiful. And this was after <laughs> Caroline's opening goal goal yeah. in this game mm -hmm. after it came. Uh, but there was more to come than yeah. 19-year-old Jordan. One of the things I notice is they often create a box here in the midfield, and it's Tess Bodie who drops in. This is off a throw-in, so it just gets delayed for a substitution, and we go back to the actual throw. But one of the things that box does is keep the space in front of these two 
midfielders. Tess Bode is going to be a midfielder in this case. But what she does here is she baits like she's going to play Manaka backwards, gets Pikiyamsa to bite in that, and then she can dribble into that seam, play this little scoop pass, which is so difficult. So good. And then Manaka <laughs> scores, one of the best goals we've ever seen. But they, they recognize where space is. They also recognize how to bait defenders and say, hey, I want you to go here so I actually can go there. Then on the dribble, Tess Bodie can go to where she wants to be, which is a space right in front of goal to create oh, just a beautiful goal. Good to see Manaka get on the scoreboard too because she's new to this league, but you have to watch out for this oh my player. Goodness. And the technique on that adjustment in the air, just a little bit I, of a dink. No it's, one thought she was going to volley a that goalkeeper. one time. It's, it's, it's a, a coach's dream because the techers yeah. on that is, is fantastic. Yeah. And the goalkeeper's nightmare. <laughs> the goalkeeper's nightmare. That's what it's gonna be. Yeah. Manaka completely catching Katie Lund off Absolutely. guard. We'll have more about this game because, Jordan, thanks for taking us through that. But we still have a lot more to talk about with this Challenge Cup final. When we get back, we're going to take a look at North Carolina and Louisville throughout the Challenge Cup. North Carolina, the NWSL Challenge Cup champions. Aaron, take us through how they did it. We uh, we start off with a fantastic through ball from Narumi to Caroline. She takes a look, sneaks it into the near pa post past Lund with the celebration. <laughs> then we fast forward to the second half. A fantastic little slip ball from Bodie in to Matsukubo. What a what a what a finish this oh, I know. is! God. The slow mo is My perfection. Goodness. It's it's just the the technique on this one, the the ball, the run. These two goals are just fantastic representations of North Carolina mm -hmm. as a team, and then just they deserve this win, and and the goals are representative of it. Take a look at the stats from this match. 14 shots, 11 of them on target for North Carolina to just one for Racing Louisville. And Jordan, this comes after a two-hour lightning delay. These teams went onto the pitch. They played 11 minutes, and then they both went into their locker rooms for two hours. How difficult is that as a player to then rewarm up, come back out onto the pitch, have to refocus yourself to play a championship game? It's super challenging, especially for what the, the weeks look like for both of these teams. Very different weeks for them, but they both played a midweek match just 48 hours before. They were on the pitch trying to win to get themselves into the final. And racing Louisville was on the West Coast. Yeah, and they were on the West Coast. So I think part of that, I heard players took naps. Uh, I heard some of them got some food. I know that to re-energize themselves, I'm sure there was some dancing involved to get yourself <laughs> back and loose. Um, but a lot of it is the mental side. You weren't really just playing 90 minutes. You were playing that plus two hours of delay, trying to keep yourself, okay, what happened in those first 11 minutes? How can we capitalize? And Katie Lund made a really big save before they even went mm -hmm. into the the locker room 11 minutes into this game. Mentally, it was a, it was a game where I think both teams – came out and looked good coming out of the, the locker room, but, man, it was difficult. It yeah. was, there was an opportunity for North Carolina to score early in that game, as you mentioned, Jordan, but we have to talk about the young superstar, the Japanese international, uh, Manaka. She was the youngest player to start in a Challenge mm -hmm. Cup game, the youngest player to score, and she ends up being the Challenge Cup final MVP. As you take a look at these shots, she had two shots, two of them on goal, one of them finding the back of the net, she was so impressive at yeah, And I think we can talk about so many different areas of her game. Her, her tactical awareness, her technical ability. She's so, so clean on the ball. The way she interchanged with Bodie. Um, it, it's, 
her her future looks so so bright. She just seems she even though she seems so young and she is young on the pitch, she's so mature and you she just has such a calm head on her shoulders. Such a fantastic player. This is what her third game, Jordan. It's her third game in the <laughs> United States, and it has been seamless. It, you the maturity shows about where she picks the ball up. These little touches that get her out of situations, keep possession for her squad. That number eighty eight point six percent passing possession in possession. So she finds the space to continue passes. She'll do this to you on the dribble and figure out a way to get the ball through. There, there's so many little nuances to her game about where she starts the play, how she ends the play, as we see with her, her goal. But really, it's in the middle of the field, the progression, where she is in the pocket. I love watching her play. And it's sometimes not a lot of movement. Mm -hmm. It's almost letting everything move around her yeah. and just letting the game come to her because she's seeing what's happening, not just in the next play, but beyond that. And I think this run in the goal is a good um, indication of her seeing something nobody else sees <laughs> because who would do this? Yeah, and, and it's you talk about this movement and just the ability to kind of stand and let things go by you because she understands the flow of the game so well. So many times we saw her at, at points occupying Abby Ursic, occupying Lester, and then just kind of popping off them and, and standing in that space in between the lines. And Abby Ursic, who is a very experienced, a fantastic defender, you can see just the, the little bit of tentativeness in her eyes, a little bit of indecision. And in those moments, that's when North Carolina is able to operate. That's when they, they scored, uh, I think, the second goal. And she was just brilliant throughout. What a Player. We were on this call, the yeah. first game for Manaka for Sean Nehas, and he said, wait till you see this player. Well, the wait is over, and everybody knows who she is now, and it's going to be hard to stop her. And the most interesting part is, Jordan, you mentioned third game for her in the NWSL with North Carolina, and head coach for the Courage, Sean Nehas, saying post-game that she's not even comfortable yet in this league <laughs> and on this team. If that's not comfortable, everybody. oh, gosh, good luck is exactly that right. That presents a problem for yeah. the rest of us. And she's just 19 years old. The, yeah. the ceiling is so high for the MVP of this tournament game. Um, Everyone celebrating in the locker room at post game for North Carolina. This was such a big deal. They got to do this win at home. They wanted to pack Wake Med Park. Despite the lightning delay, they were able to get a lot of fans in there. And we got some sneak peeks of the locker room celebrations from North Carolina. Sean Nehas, the head coach for The Courage, uh, he was enjoying himself, let's just say. What, what do you think was inside this cup there? I don't think it was water, yeah. uh, if we're going to start with that. Yeah, this okay. is also, I love this so much because Sean is, we've interviewed him a few times now. Uh, he's such a buttoned up guy. He is mm -hmm. such a professional guy. He even guy. has all of his buttons buttoned yeah. up. When <laughs> literally a buttoned up guy. <laughs> to see him actually take a drink, to, to let his, his hair down a little bit. Uh, <laughs> it's nice for him. Especially because of the way that they won. He, his, his footprint is all of his handprints are all over this team. The way that they play. And it's, it's very, very very different from the North Carolina teams of the past. Uh, this is my team. This is North Carolina. I was super happy to see them win, just period. But to see this also, this style, the, the ball is on the ground, the, uh -huh. the, the possession, the, the technical uh, – it's it's great to see. Yeah, and he's taken he's been patient with that. Yeah, yeah. He took over last year, and there were things that needed to change. And I think he realized the players that he had and the players that he wanted to have. Mm -hmm. And you've seen over the last year and a half some of those changes happen. You bring in now three Japanese internationals; they fit in seamlessly. Denise O'Sullivan still anchors the squad yeah. with feistiness, but also with the ball leadership. All of those things. 
this has been a really interesting rebuild and I think will be one that a lot of NWSL teams look to and say, hey, do we want a new identity? Well, this was how they did it in North Carolina. It, having such a true identity has been the, the reason it's worked so well for the Courage and Sean Nahas. And he's brought in so many of those internationals and still allowed them to play to their specific personal strengths, mm -hmm. which has allowed this North Carolina team to be so dominant. We would be remiss if we didn't talk about the other side of it. Racing Louisville advanced to this Challenge Cup in the club's just third year of existence. And we have to give a little shout out to goalkeeper Katie Lund. She was named to the Challenge Cup Tournament Best 11 as the goalkeeper. She ended this Challenge Cup final with nine. Nine yes. saves. Although the opening goal for Caroline, it doesn't make Lund look the best, she still had a fantastic game. What allowed her to be named to this best 11? You, you can just see she, she, she has that dog in it. Yeah. She, she's got a, every single goalkeeper, if you stand in between those pipes, you have an elite mentality. It takes a different type of person to be a keeper. I, I hope that my kids don't want to be keepers. I really don't. But especially to, to go out and, and have to sit for, for two hours and then still yeah. come out and yeah. perform the way she did to, to maintain that concentration. Of course, we're all going to look at the goal that she conceded at that near post. But the performance overall throughout the tournament was fantastic, and she deserves that. Yeah, absolutely. Lund is a reason why Racing Louisville went from one Challenge Cup win in two years to now five plus making to the championship is big time for her. Louisville now sits at seventh. They're just two points out of a playoff spot. Does this change their look for the regular season? No, I, I think if they get Jalen Howell back yeah. and if they get Carson Pickett, Carson Pickett has 93 crosses. That's third in NWSL. Jalen Howell is fifth in tackle dribblers. The, the presence that those two have are essential to this team. I think if Louisville can get them back for these last couple of games, they make their way into the playoffs. It's a big if. It's a big if. But I think that they have the ability to do it. Four match days left in the NWSL for Louisville to push ahead, get points every week, and get up into that playoff line. Stick with us. When we return, Sandra Herrera will join us to break down everything NWSL. Welcome back to Attacking Third. We now welcome in our CBS Sports reporter, Sandra Herrera, to give us the latest. Hi, Sandra. Welcome in. Hey, happy to be back, y'all. Sandra, ahead of the NWSL Challenge Cup final, NWSL Commissioner Jessica Berman had a press conference where she addressed a lot of different things across the league, and we want the tea from you. Sandra, what's the latest you can give us on NWSL expansion? Yeah, Berman sitting down with media ahead of the Challenge Cup. A little bit of a check-in the last time she had one of these press conferences was just uh, at the NWSL draft in Philly and then ahead of the regular season. So it was great to get a little bit of a check-in. And, of course, everyone likes to hear about expansion. Everyone likes to hear about who's coming and who's possibly going in terms of the NWSL. But not a lot of new updates. But there was some clarification on expansion for NWSL. We all know that the Bay FC and Utah Royals are going to come into the league next season in 2024. Jessica Bourbon was a uh really smart about just going ahead and touching on that and getting really excited for those two teams and their arrival for next season and going to make the league a 14 team league, but did clarify that with all the news that has come out about these two teams entering the mix next year, that what was expansion going to look like in 2025, that that was going to be a targeted year. But she said at the end of this quarter, quarter four in 2023, they're going to get back to that expansion process. And there's going to be a targeted year of 2020. 
six. So it didn't actually drop uh, markets and names in terms of actual potential interested bidders. I know that there has been some interest out of Denver. I know that there has been some interest out of Boston, and Boston has been tied to uh, some reports as well. But no actual commitments or confirmations there. She did provide additional clarity on Boston, saying that if there is news to be shared, of course, we'll all know when they know. All right, now, Sandra, you talked about expansion. Let's talk about a couple OGs. Portland and Oil Rain take on each other on Saturday, but there is, we're hearing some movement on the ownership side. What can you clarify on that? Yeah, so a big part of uh, Jessica Berman's media address was a good chunk dedicated to welcoming in Laura Ricketts and the new ownership group out in Chicago. And kind of within that same update mentioned the fact that there are multiple teams pursuing additional sales in the league right now. So that includes Portland Thorns and that includes OL Reign as well. And that the following week actually served as a little bit of a preliminary deadline for these teams. And I think that's probably the biggest difference in terms of the update for the ongoing uh, sales of these two existing franchises that very early on and in the beginning stages of these teams announcing that they were pursuing a sale, Portland Thorns last December and OL Reign just earlier this year in April, that there wasn't an actual timeline or deadline that was given on these processes, something that Jessica Berman has stood by in wanting to find the right ownership that we've heard a lot out of the league as we pursue this story. So I think moving forward, we have the preliminary deadline. She said that there's going to be an end of calendar year timeline for these two teams to essentially get those final deals over the line. So where there wasn't maybe a a deadline out there to the public, there is not one. They want to have new ownership for these two franchises before this calendar year is over. Sandra, in a way, doesn't it feel like these two teams need that new ownership in order to continue to bring in expansion teams? Because if two teams are up for sale, it's hard to start things in new cities when there are two perfectly good franchises right there really waiting and wanting to have good owners. Yeah, it's really interesting to sort of see kind of the the bridging of these two things, how we're watching existing franchises go through a sale process and then have expansion sides go in and try to present an expansion bid. And I think we've got um, multiple different examples here for the league to take a look at. You've got Bay FC, which has absolutely set records with their bid, essentially a $53 million expansion bid with overall $125 million towards investment. And then you had Utah Royals, where there were some contingencies in place, uh, kind of a placeholder for this franchise to make their return to the NWSL with a much, much smaller fee. I think I believe it was roughly two million dollars initially reported but now we have na these navigating these sales for existing franchises that i'm sure um owners want to see some very round numbers with these final deals but when you break them down you see what's earmarked towards previous ownership and then what is earmarked towards future investment so that 35 million mark has kind of come around we saw it with michelle king in the spirit we saw 35.5 towards uh chicago ownership with 
25.5 tacked on to kind of make this very round $60 million uh, number valuation. So I'm, I'm very curious to see what the final numbers are going to come out for these two particular existing franchises, because I think you have folks in the room kind of making counter arguments for how these sales are going to be navigated moving forward. Of course, plenty more to come with Jessica Berman as the NWSL championship to be hosted in November in San Diego. I'm sure we'll hear more from her then. Sandra, thank you so much for your insight as always. And thanks everyone for joining us today. That's Absolutely. it. That's our show as we did it on this Monday. Thanks so much everyone for joining. We'll be back on Wednesday with more around women's football.